thinking that maybe to put the net needle down with a gutting knife with a spanner, pick up a bit of pen and paper and assess ourselves. This is still a genuine consultation and there is still time to engage and influence. But this has opportunity to really bed down and of course the only way to get it to bed down is by it being right in the first place. What can we do better? What, what's not looking quite right? What's old and tired? What do we need to replace? Take a bit of time, listen to this podcast, have a look at the consultation. Look at our working practices. Can we haul and shoot more efficiently and safer? Diving into a really critical thing, the MCA recently published a, a proposal for the under 15 metre small vessel code and it's under consultation process at the moment. They went live back in August and that will run until the 8th of November. So this episode we've got Roger G from the MCA and Clive Palfrey from Seafood Cornwall Training who's obviously very close with the PO in that sense. Paul, we've missed you on these last couple. With, uh, the Women in Fisheries one and the grant funding one last time. Welcome you back as the co-host. Yeah, okay, Ronnie, yeah, it's, it's good to be back. I missed, like I said, missed the last couple, but two, two cracking episodes there. What's your words to get people starting to think this way and understand what's coming forward here? To be honest with you, I think this is exactly what Fathom is all about. This is a really important but really complex area when it comes to small boat codes or, or any safety codes for that matter. But this small boat... And the 15 metre consultation is probably one of the more important ones and one of the more complicated things for small boat owners and operators that we've seen for a long time. So I think that the two guys we got on today couldn't ask for two more knowledgeable, experienced guys when it comes to practical safety around big and small fishing boats. But one thing I would say is don't be put off by the length. It's probably one of the longer podcasts, but there are no shortcuts when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, we're into some important areas, things like stability, hatch integrity, the safety folder, the, the drills. These aren't things where there's any shortcuts. So I think it's worth listening to the words of of Roger and Clive as they draw these things out in their conversation. The other point that I think I would say at the outset is that that this is, I think, still a genuine consultation and there is still time to engage and influence what comes out the other end of this. It'll be no good waiting till the, the new code comes in. The deadline for submissions is um, the 8th of November. It's only six weeks away, but don't get caught on the wrong side of that and moaning or coming up with things after that. Take a bit of time, listen to this podcast, and then have a look at the consultation. Not always easy to, to understand, but but if there are questions, if you want us here at Fathom to go into more detail with either Roger or Clive, we can do that. If you want to come into the P office and talk through it, that's available. If you want to have a look at it online for the MCA consultation, speak to Clive, all available. But please engage, try and understand, think about what the, what's coming, what the cost might be, what the barriers, problems might be for you as a as a guy with um, a punt ear working out of uh, a Newland open boat or right up to uh, and including some of our um, 14 and a half metre scallopers and, and boats like that. Big elements coming in, if, as I read it, things like stability, there'll be some new requirements. Not all are going to be easy to deal with. A lot make a positive contribution to improving safety, but you need to listen. You need to think how that's going to impact your business. Areas we don't, you don't understand or we don't understand ask we'll go into in more detail either through PO, Clive or the MCA themselves and as I say the most important thing is don't get caught on the wrong side of that deadline the 8th of November 
when you want to say something after that because at that point I think the the code will be coming into play and things will start getting crystallized and get set in concrete and if there are things you can't comply with in that shout now let's make sure everything's heard the objective is genuinely to improve safety so so my strong strong advice listen and then have a look for yourself and please make some responses before that deadline thanks paul it is a bit of an epic so uh let's just get into it welcoming Roger G from the NCA and also Clive Palfrey from Seafood Cornwall Training. Roger, we had you on not too long ago, a couple of months ago with the Maritime Safety Week and we did touch on this then. So thanks for coming back. And I know Clive's been with us a few times. So, so welcome both. And Roger, maybe if you want to um, kick things off and just give us a bit of a summary where the, where the codes come from, what the latest is and a bit of an update since we spoke a couple of months ago. This is a consultation on our ideas. It is industry ideas as well uh, through the Fishing Industry Safety Group and various other bodies have come together to put forward a uh, revised code of practice. So this is the replacement to the Merchant Shipping Notice, MSN 1871, that uh, many of the small fishing vessel owners uh, will uh, will know of. Um and so where does it come from and, and why is the need? Um, well, there are a number of places of where it's come from. Um, for the last 13 years, every new build fishing vessel has been built to uh, what was the Seafish Construction Standards. And uh, if you look closely at the code, um, actually, you have to comply with the code once you're built to Seafish. But the Seafish Standards were obviously quite deterministic I suppose is the best way to say it it determined what you needed to build the vessel to but the code that you then had to comply with afterwards uh, didn't uh, say a great deal about how you had to comply so there was a bit of a mismatch there and it didn't really fit well with certainly the larger vessel codes that's the over 24s and the 15 to 24s and uh, you know, providing, and again, for those people who have been in the industry a, a good while, providing you'd got your life boy and, and maybe uh, your flares, it was pretty well seen that you, you might comply. Obviously, the best piece of safety that you might have is the vessel that you sat on. And the, the code of practice said not a, as much as it probably could do uh, about that side of things. We also had um, a number of recommendations that were put to us by the uh, uh, MAIB, the Marine Accidents Investigation Branch. The various reports that have been done over the last few years kept on highlighting that even though there weren't hundreds of thousands of fishermen in the industry, when you equated the numbers to a similar job on land, it still made the fishing industry the most dangerous job that we have in the UK. And I believe it's some five, the, the, the most dangerous job on land is in the recycling industry and the fishing industry still comes out at some five or six times higher than that particular job. So there were a number of things that we were tasked with improving from the MEIB. We, we had to take those recommendations on. And this piece of work is the result of that. And we can talk a little bit about some of the particular points that we've raised and are highlighting within the consultation. But that's really the background to where we've got to just at the moment. Clive, I see you uh, scribbling notes there. 
as far as I understand it, I think the regulations that they brought into the larger boats a few years ago have worked. And now we're trying to bring some of those regulations down into the smaller fishing vessels to, to make them safer. Is that is that what we're saying? It's the smaller sized vessel that's now the higher risk. So I can't tell you exactly what the report is, but the MEIB have done a quite a lot of investigation into this. Um, if you go way, way back to uh, the 1970s, um, the larger vessels had a terrible capsize, should we say, just looking at the stability side of things. Um, the regulations came in under the 1975 regs, and from that point onwards, uh, the, the curve of the graph, if you like, that indicates the, the number of uh, sinkings of a, of a vessel um, has come down to zero. So there have been, for the last number of years, no larger vessels lost uh, through solely, we'll talk about stability. I mean, we've lost a number of vessels, but usually uh, there have been other things that have been uh, in play of that, but nothing like that we are losing with uh, the under-15s. And if you look at the trend lines of the under-15s, they've remained stubbornly high and we have continued to lose uh, people. So, yeah, you're absolutely right there, uh, Clive. It's uh, the lessons learned from the larger vessels. And that's, that's the 15 to 24 metre code as well, so not that much larger. They've been brought down uh, with uh, the lessons we've learnt and the industry's learnt to the smaller codes uh, and our proposals for the under-15 fleet. So where do you think the smaller boats are going wrong then? You know, we've brought the regulations that are coming in, that are hopefully coming in, that, that that's fine. But we're talking to fishermen... What should we be telling them? Where are we going wrong with this? So um, at the moment, for certainly the existing vessels, it's always looking at your vessel and your operation with fresh eyes. Really difficult to do because it's, it's your place of work. You see it every single day. And in your mind, it hasn't changed from the, from the last day, you know, sorry, the first day that you, you took ownership of it. But of course it does. Um, the seawater environment is the harshest you can get uh, that chlorine that's in there, which it is, uh, has terrible effects on whether it's a wooden vessel or a steel vessel, and believe it or not, even uh, the contents of a GRP vessel. So it's having that fresh look and just assuming that what you've done every single time is not necessarily always going to be the best way. There are other ways perhaps of doing it. It might be the best way, and that's why you've been successful at your fishing. But... Um, it might be there are other things that we can learn. So whether it's the risks that you're taking, is that satisfactory risk? Uh, is it the the work that you do in terms of maintenance? Is that satisfactory? Are you doing it enough or have you now left it too long? I often say to uh, the fishermen when they're on board, just write it down somewhere. And I'm not talking about in any posh official logbook or anything like that. In your catch book, just put down when you last changed whatever it happens to be. You know, something that you know is going to be uh, you're going to be relying on your life on, write it down as to when you last changed it. Because it's amazing how we always forget. Our brains will always say, I, it was only three months ago, four months ago. And then we're horrified it was six, seven, 12 months ago. Yeah. So um, always write it down, keep checking, keep looking, and see whether the activities that you're ta- doing are as safe as they possibly can be. Um, I do believe the majority of the fishermen are working as safely as they possibly can be but it never harms having that extra pair of eyes some other viewpoint somebody's opinion uh, i think that's what you do clive isn't it you you do offer that and you see that with that fresh 
set of eyes, the objective look, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, so really, we're asking them maybe to put the, the net needle down for an hour, or the gutting knife, or the spanner, to pick up a bit of pen and paper, stand on the key, and just just assess ourselves. What what could we do better? What What's not looking quite right? What's old and tired? What do we need to replace? Look at our working practices, and can we haul and shoot more efficiently and safer? Um, so it's just basically stepping back, really, and taking a look. That's what we're saying. It is. And, and actually, that brings us up onto uh, the code quite nicely. So I better just say, actually, that the code is a proposal at the moment. It's a consultation document. We'll, we'll talk about what that actually means as far as how the guys can interact with that in a minute. But one of the proposals that we've got going forward is we suggest that we'd like to see the boat out of the water. Now, I know a lot of people have gone, what's that mean? You know, we've got to have the boat out of the water. It's going to cost lots of money. Well, we're actually not saying that we want to see the boat out of the water every year or every two years. It's actually only once in five years. And I bet every single person who's got a boat would like themselves to see the boat out of the water. And we're suggesting that we do that at, at the fisherman's convenience, providing, obviously, the fishermen let us know, you know, we need a bit of time to, to be able to get down there. Um, so that when the boat's hauled out, we can be having a look around as well. And it's more of a check, you know, in terms of, you're pulling the boat out. We're just going to record that you've done so because, believe it or not, there are quite a few boats that don't get out of the water. And perhaps when they do, um, those questions of that, it's that fresh from, uh, pair of eyes again, uh, Clive. It's um, somebody just suggesting, well, you know, when did you last have that valve uh, pulled? When did you last have a look inside? And again, it comes back to the thought that, well, it was five years ago. I'm sure I, I, I had it out five years ago. And you then find it was actually more like 10. So the big ships have learned an awful lot from these as well. We say that ships I bow should be out every five years, for example. And that's the same whether it's a large ship or a, a small vessel. Unfortunately, the seawater has the same effect. And we can ask the same questions about your propeller shaft. You know, when did you last change cutlass bearing? Is there excessive move that movement there? And uh, what about the rudder? You know, we're not asking you necessarily to do it while we're there. You could have done it at any other time in the preceding five years, but just to make sure that you're keeping on top of your maintenance, something that we've not always done before, but I think everybody will agree it's a really good thing to do, isn't it? It's like making sure that you've still got uh, tires on your wheels of the car. Yeah, it's not really that big a deal, is it? I mean, we're talking about under 15-metre boats. We're talking about the southwest of England, where 70 or 80% of the harbours that, that we visit on a regular basis have got fishing vessels. Tide goes out and they're aground anyway. So, I mean, good practice surely is to maintain the bottom of your boat once or twice a year. And I'm sure most people are doing it. So to arrange that on a day with somebody from the MCA um, on a hard standing in a harbour, it's not really that big a deal, is it? Uh I think we've also said that if uh, a number of the guys get together in the same place at the same time, we'll do everybody because it's not surely going to take very long. Uh, it shouldn't do. And if it does, well, maybe, you know, that's the one we'll perhaps concentrate on. But uh, I think very few of the fishing vessels that I, I do see, the standards of maintenance around uh, in, in the southwest is high. Um, we need, though, to just have that assurance to make sure that 
we are all doing the same sort of thing at the same time in in the same sort of way uh, because it will it will pay dividends at the end of the day. So, if it's appropriate, uh, Chris and Clive, should we just go on to some of the other bits? I was just really interested, just listening to you two both go for it there. So, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really nice natural way to run through things. I think we started to sort of tick off a few points there that we had that are in the in the proposal. So. By all means, Roger, feel free to flow through other things that you think are important parts of what's coming forward here. Okay, so, I mean, I touched on it right at the very start. You know, if you're already built to sea fish, um, then I don't think you're going to have a problem. Um, it's pretty much what you've been built to is going to continue through. So that's as far as the structure and, and uh, the standards that we're, we're asking. Um, if you're an existing vessel... Um, there are areas certainly that uh, we will say, well, you know, you've got history of safe operation. Uh, it's been built in that particular way. Um, it, the, it's it's uh, expected that you will uh, probably carry on in that particular way. But there are particular areas that we will uh, look at a little bit more closely. And I'm going to now perhaps just refer to whether you're an open boat or whether you're a decked boat. So um, there was a, a number of years ago where, you know, you can imagine an open boat um, is perhaps in, engaged in um, potting and you're pulling uh, obviously your crab or something like that up and uh, you also get the bits uh, down into the bottom of the boat and you then have the idea of putting a deck on. And uh, the deck goes on, uh, but then you realise obviously because you've got a deck, you need to get rid of that water somehow. And so we start getting um, uh, what I might call a hybrid boat, something that isn't quite an open boat and something that's not quite a deck boat. Uh, you perhaps make some freeing ports in it. Now you've got a freeing port quite close perhaps to the waterline and a deck. And what we're saying here is you can be an open boat, you can be a deck boat, but actually you can't be a hybrid boat uh, because actually you then start to lose... Uh, your freeboard, and as you know, the freeboard is one of the main attributes to you maintaining stability. So there's a particular area. Now, there are hybrid boats about. So if you've got um, a hybrid boat, and this is something that will or may come into the consul from the consultation, there will be a period of time for you to get that remedied. And I think we'll talk about Clive a bit later on, uh, the, the grant system uh, that there is out there for people perhaps to put those sort of items right. Um, another one is, is hatches. So um, if you're a 2007, post-2007 boat, I don't think you can have a problem with this, but hatches that are open at sea should have some sort of combing around. Now, it's amazing, some of the older boats that have been built locally, um, they have decks and they have hatches which remain open, but they have very little in the way of a combing. So you, you take any water at all, whether it's from a deck wash or whether it's from a wave, um, it has the ability to then get into the bottom of the boat perhaps without you knowing, and that doesn't have much good uh, of an effect on stability. So what we're saying in there is that we should perhaps put some combings up. Now, these combings might be difficult in terms of construction, and again, we're, we're suggesting that there will be a period of time for you to uh, get that um, remedied or suggested as to the, the best approach, and therefore perhaps to be able to apply for some sort of uh, grant funding in, in terms of that. Talking about uh, hatches that don't remain open at sea all the time, then flush deck hatches are 
perhaps going to be the way forward there. So flush deck hatches, they're ones predominantly that are going to be watertight. So this is one particular key area. It's about maintaining survivability of the boat, maintaining the boat in terms of its stability and ensuring that uh, we are not getting water into places that we really don't want uh, water to be. And that's probably one of the largest areas that I can think there will be um, some sort of change. It's not a mandated change at the moment. This is only a suggestion, and uh, we'll talk more about this later on, but we're going to look for your feedback into these particular areas, and we want you to talk to us via the consultation that is on the online. As I say, we'll give you the address as to where that is shortly, so that we can modify those uh, suggestions so that they're going to work for the industry. There's no point in having things that there that really are not going to work well. Um, and I'm sure people have got better ideas. We've had a lot of ideas already, and we're already taking those on board. Um, and they will form, they will modify the way the regulations get put down. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a little while. Clive, have I missed anything out there? Or is there anything you want to come back to me on? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's. I think the way you've explained why a hatch has got to be sealed or attached you know it just makes sense i think sometimes fishermen don't quite understand why that rule's coming in and like you say all these rules are coming in for, for a purpose but um, maintaining the, the the vessel buoyant and stable is obviously the key to keeping it afloat so um, if a small combing or a sealed hatch does that then then it's it's a simple remedy um, uh, and something that's really not that expensive to water on your boat it's not a big huge cost to doing that um, and like you say, you know, major modifications, there are safety grants available. So um, I don't think there's anything there that's going to stop the progress of that or, or, or hinder a fisherman too much. No, indeed. It's just, I suppose, um, we will ask people to uh, probably amend their vessels in some way. Um, and maybe that's what uh, people out there would like to just refer to, have a look at the timeline that we're thinking this might occur in. It might be too fast. It might be too short. Uh, some people I uh, have had said that uh, this should be in within a couple of years, you know, full stop. Whereas uh, the last lot of legislation change, you might remember with the EPIRBs and the life jackets um, and uh, PLBs, and that certainly had a good two-year run-in, and then it was picked up at whatever your next uh, renewal inspection was. I, I know the industry really worked very, very well on that. And I suppose this ought to be taken in the same sort of light because this is this is what we're trying to achieve um but obviously as far as vessel structure is concerned what would would like to just talk to you guys about if that's all right is uh the stability side because we talked about stability in terms of maintaining freeboard and obviously that is one of the big measures um what i would like to just say is how stability going to be considered on both new and existing vessels well um I'll just tell you what the situation is now. If you've got a 12-metre or above vessel that you're building, um, then the, the requirements under Seafish and now under NCA is that it comes with stability. Okay, so it's already there. What I mean by stability is that uh, the designer, he knows how that vessel is shaped in the underwater profile. He can work out obviously where the centre of gravity is, and he'll deliver that book the boat with a stability book. So that that's straightforward. There is uh, going to be a system of breaking various fishing methods down into three uh, areas, um, and 
for those fishing vessels that perhaps are engaged in what I would call uh, maybe static gear or uh, maybe uh, self-hauled, you know, it's a person hauling the gear, uh, it's fairly manual uh, effort, then that's what we would call the the easiest level. I think it's going to be termed as uh, category A, if I've got my, my uh, letters around the right way. And that's just going to have the requirement for a check of the freeboard at the five-year renewal. Uh, it's going to have a check of maybe how that vessel moves from side to side. We call that the roll test. So uh, every vessel has a natural uh, pendulum of movement backwards and forwards from one side to the other and then back to that one side. That's one port to starboard to port is one complete roll. And it's really easy to do just alongside. And what you're just checking for is that the vessel has got enough, we call it dynamic stability, to be able to resist either being held or by being uh, having water ingress or by having a, a swamp of, of some water, that it will have enough ability to be able to fight uh, against that and you'd be able to recover. So really simple test. So that, that's the first level of stability. Um, the, the second level is a, a little bit more involved and perhaps uh, is involving um, powered equipment powered gear maybe it's it's you're lifting heavier loads uh maybe um there is uh, the certain types of fishing which will lift quite a considerable amount of uh, weight from one side over and that's not just obviously uh trawling and bringing it around to the side into the cod end into the side of the vessel uh, but there are other types as well and we might look towards something called uh, a load test on one side so it's putting the equivalent sort of load that you would see, you think you might see in your cod end, if there is a cod end, onto one side, and then just seeing what she's leaning over to, what's of angle, uh, and what's her freeboard. That's really important because, again, it comes back to if you're lifting, I don't know, 250 kilos of, of weight and you've got no freeboard left, well, she's not got really very far to go in terms of uh, resistance to, to, to rotating. So that's an offset load test, we call that. That's the, that's the big name for it. But that's what we would expect to, to carry out there. And then the third is, as I said, it's, it's a stability book. Now, let's say you are a um, seven, I'm going to, it's a completely ridiculous uh, scenario, seven-metre um, potter, and you're now going to go scalloping. Okay, so uh, it's not going to happen. I realise that, but you're going from the easiest bit of stability uh, to something that is uh, perhaps going to require significant reserves of, of energy and therefore stability. We would ask you to move from the, the easiest stability assessment, which is the roll test, which we can do alongside, to uh, showing that the vessel can uh, comply with the stability book requirements. Now, for a seven-metre boat, it's just it's not going to happen. I do understand that. But I'm just trying to show you how the uh, methods of fishing and predominantly the size of boat will uh, have to uh, comply with the different stability assessments. Probably a bit complicated the way I've made it sound. I hope I haven't made it too d difficult. Uh, it is there in the on the online version and hopefully will be a bit more readable than I've been able to put it over. But it's probably one of the larger areas uh, that we um, are going to have to consult upon and would like you uh, to put your opinion. Clive? Uh, it was a little bit complicated, but I sort of got my head around it. It sort of made sense. 
are, are the NCA more worried about the under 10, under 12 meter beam trawler, Derek method of fishing? Is that a worry or a concern? It's the, it's the 10 and above. It's that, I think if you're under 10, uh, I think that you just go for the offset load test method because I think it's deemed that uh, the number of small scallopers under 10 meters is, is pretty, pretty small. We, we are concerned about the, the, the the amount of power and the amount of gear on the, if you like, the 10 metre range that has developed over the time. And that's why if a vessel moves from that uh, less onerous uh, method of fishing to the more onerous method of fishing, they'll have to comply with the, the more onerous stability. But let's just let's just clarify something at the moment. If you're already an existing vessel, we're talking pre-2007, and you are... Um, in the A or B category, it's likely that you will carry on being in the A or B category, which is a roll test. It's a measure of the freeboard, something that we can be doing very easily alongside as part of that five-year renewal inspection. If you're already a scalloper, um, uh, and I will need to just check on this, but you're in the 12 and above, it's likely, again, you're already compliant with it. It's not uh, making existing vessels uh, have to jump through additional hoops unless they change something about the vessel, add more gear, modify, change the mode of fishing. Um, if you're a, a multi-mode fishing vessel, then it's already probably taken into account. Um, and I think that's also considered within the consultation. But I'd ask you to look at your own individual methods of fishing and, and try and find your boat in amongst obviously the the, the element on uh, the stability, which I think is in chapter three, if you're desperate to go and have a look. It's quite a, quite a big chapter, but see if you can find your vessel um, and see how it would perhaps uh, change uh, the, the stability uh, requirements. But I will just point you to um, existing vessels of less than 50 metres is uh, three chapter three, section 11. So if you're worried about your existing vessel, um, that doesn't have stability, uh, formal stability, that's the bit to go and have a look at. It will tell you the answers just there. Oh, deal. Um, you've mentioned um, roll tests two or three times, and, and I've done a couple of roll tests with you before. Do you think that's something that we should encourage fishermen to do to their own boats to, to, so they get the feel of where their boat is in stability-wise? I think everybody... It doesn't matter. It's not just fishing boats, but everybody likes to change their boat in some way. They like to add things to it. They like to take things off. The effect of adding and taking things off a small vessel uh, has a much greater effect, as you might imagine. You know, just the person on the boat has a dynamic effect on most small fishing vessels. And if you start at the start with some idea of how quickly your boat moves in one complete roll, from, as I said to you, from, from port to starboard to port again, and you've got that in your mind that that takes, I don't know, two seconds, three seconds, whatever it is, that's a measure now. You can take that with you and three years down the line, four years down the line, do the same thing, and you find that instead of it taking two or three seconds, it's now taking three and a half or four seconds, which in a small boat is massive, it's starting to say to you, although it might feel comfortable, actually I haven't got I haven't got that residual stability. I haven't got that force that's now just wanting to push me back. Uh, it's it means that if something was to go awry, 
If I, something was to hold me down, if something was to swamp me, I'm not going to be able to fight that force. And we're talking about forces here. That, this is what it is. You're not going to be able to fight it to bring yourself back. Or may not, I should say. It might, it's not always definite, but you're not giving yourself the opportunity that you, you perhaps need. I know for, for many years, a slower vessel was deemed to be uh, the way to go. And, and as one naval architect told me, you know, some of the cruise ships and some of the passenger liners that used to transit the, the Atlantic they used to have really, really slow rolls because it seemed to be more comfortable. But actually their margins were really, in some cases, quite small. Um, a vessel that has a little bit more of a kick to it is a bit faster. It might feel uncomfortable, um, but it's probably got more resistance to those sort of things, those incidents that I was, I was mentioning to you. And that's why uh, sometimes people say cat uh, catamarans are really uncomfortable because, of course... They're really quite fast. You know, they've, they've got bags of stability. And that's that's your trade-off. You've got a large working platform there, but of course it should, they're quite what we call stiff as opposed to tender, which is a slower vessel. Um, Roger, I'm just uh, conscious of time, I suppose, but um, um, that's covered, I guess, the majority of, of the proposal. Um, you've mentioned a few times that people can engage with this and give their thoughts and you would welcome that. Is, is there a... Uh, any date or what, what's the easiest way to make that communication to the MCA? So it's, it's worth saying, actually, it's not just the MCA involved um, and the other industry partners uh, who make up the fishing industry safety group uh, will be involved in this and will want to see what the outcome of the consultation uh, is before obviously it goes uh, forward. Um, so, what I would really ask is whether it's through a company, whether it's through fishing vessel associations, obviously all the way around the coast. I know that a lot of the harbours, uh, fishermen tend to be individuals. Um, try and get together uh, uh, because it is a big document. And if you can share, obviously, thoughts, it'd be a good idea. Get into groups. Um, go online and just search for fishing vessel consultation, maybe MCA, something like that. Uh, it's a fantastic email address, so I'm not going to give you that over over the podcast, but just search on your favourite search engine and, and it should come up. Uh, click on that, you'll see, I think, four or five documents, one of which is the draft merchant shipping notice. We have to put that in, but that's just about uh, how it's going to be implemented. It's, it's the regulation. Um, the bit that you uh, want is the thing that actually describes itself as the... Um, provisional code i think it is i'm just having a look myself draft code of practice for uh, fishing vessels under 15 meters in length okay that's it's uh, it's part b on the uh, website um and that's that's got all your uh, the bare bones of what the code's going to look like and then further down on the same page if you scroll down there uh, it's got consultation uh, response and ways to respond there's a, a response form just click on that uh, and that should open up the response form. If you have any problems, um, I'm going to say talk to Clive because Clive can get in touch with me. Um, but talk to me if you've got my contact details as well. And we will make sure that you've got the, the form to respond. Um, there's uh, a, a guy who I work very closely with up in uh, headquarters up in Southampton, Dave Fenner, many of you will know. Uh, and he's heading this up. He's conscious that there have been a lot of changes over the last few years. I, I think we'd like to see that there aren't so many changes in the next few years, that this has opportunity to, 
really bed down. And of course, the only way to get it to bed down is by it being right in the first place um, and acceptable to, to you guys. Um, and, and that's what we really want. And I'll make sure we put all those links that you've mentioned, any, any documents there in the show notes that go with this, and we'll put it out via the, the CFPO social media, which I'm sure will get picked up by, by Clive and Seafood Cornwall Training anyway. So we'll make sure that everyone's got an easy way in to read that chapter and understand the impact on them and whatever size vessel and what they might need to comply with, or that will obviously prompt a response from them. So that's really good. And um, Clive, um, prior prior to us pushing record, you you mentioned some really valid points of your role. I suppose anyone listening to this maybe uh, has raised some thoughts and possibly a bit overwhelmed sometimes. I know when we go through things like this, it can be a lot to take on board. But obviously, your role with Seafood Cornwall Training, those those in the southwest have the benefit of being able to give you a call. I know you're already uh, busy this week out and about with the uh, different communities, different fishermen associations. So, as Roger said, getting people together as a group, you're the, you're a good guy there, a good contact for the industry to to build that and set that up. So, um, I wish I did record when you started, but if we could go back almost and just just get a few points from you saying about your work and what you're doing which will help work and navigate through this, um, this new code. Yeah, um, as you say, you know, Seafield Cornwall Training are running this safety project. It's Cornwall and Devon. Um, so anyone throughout the southwest is, is welcome to make contact with us. Um, if you look at the website, you'll get some contact details. And, and we're there for anything down from consultation of what we've been talking about today to um, safety folders, um, you know, PFDs, uh, m- monthly emergency drills, you know, risk assessments, whatever, whatever their, their needs are, um, we're at the end of the phone. You'd find us on the internet, get our contact details is the easiest way, and um, get in contact if, if, if they want help with anything. Yeah, I think it's good just to remind people that there is that service here. I just wanted to reflect quickly, just, just in the last episode, we delved into the world of grant funding. Uh, and, and one of the key messages there is that as it stands, even though we're looking at these changes, there isn't a, a funding mechanism in place at the moment. But the MMO have promised that in 2021, there will be a new long-term strategic grant funding program. And obviously, safety seems to be always there as a, as a priority in what they want to do. And, and that obviously benefited a lot of people last time with the code. Roger, you mentioned the introduction of mandatory PFDs, um, life rafts, PLBs, the rest of it. Lots of people utilize the grant mechanism there to, to make those changes before they become mandatory. So again, it's a, it's a reminder, I suppose, saying keep an eye out for future funding programs, listening to everything we're talking about today, uh, anything non-mandatory, any non-mandatory changes to a vessel would, would generally, generally qualify for grant support, which is going to make a huge difference, I know, especially when you're in those larger size vessels making these changes. Uh, that, that funding side of things is going to really motivate people and, and support them to get to, to where we want to get to. So um, yeah, stay tuned for any future updates from us on that as well. And hopefully the whole thing works out as one package and, and we get to where we want to get to. But um, uh, thank you both for your, for your uh, insight and expertise. It's, hopefully that's informed everyone. And, but yeah, if there's any sign-off messages from either of you, then fire away. I'm just going to pick up on something Clive said. Um, I mean, I've not talked about the paperwork or let's move away from the word paperwork because I know we don't like the word paperwork, but safety folders uh, and there are other systems out there once set up, they do so much of the work for you, um, reminding you when things need to be done. We talked about that earlier, you know, whether it's maintenance or safety equipment going out of date. Once it's set up, 
it, it helps you. It really helps you run your, your boat. And uh, Clive also mentioned drills uh, and the requirement to do these. And, and Clive and I have talked about this ever such a lot. Um, has been in for a while now. Um, and all I can say is actually it's quite timely because uh, there's a, a press release it's actually from uh, a really sad incident on the Republic of Ireland. Uh, it's out today. Um, and one of their findings was not not a huge vessel, uh, but uh, the lack of awareness of how to deal with emergency situations. And remember, emergency situation is, is anything that's not ordinary, um, even to the point of knowing how to release the life raft manually. You know, so just put yourself through it, even if you're just looking, touching it, making sure that you've uh, checked all the straps in this particular instance is really good. It's part of what you might deem is a drill. Yeah, I mean, drills is a big thing at the moment, isn't it? You know, we're meant to conduct a, a monthly emergency drill. Um, I just, yeah, simple messages really. Wear a PFD where there's a risk of man overboard. Look at your safety equipment. Look at what you would do if something was going wrong. We call it emergency monthly drill. It's just, just look at it. Look at yourselves and look at how you deal with an accident reduce your risk that's all we're asking you to do is reduce that risk and get a safety folder like you say online paper whatever a simple safety folder with all the information that you need to keep your boat safe in is, is is all we're looking at when i started this project i was asked for a quote and the quote at the time was you stick one hour a month into safety you're going to be safer and i still think that's the minimum requirement that we need to put into this you know one hour a month just on safety nothing else and and i think you'll be a safe fisherman why sign off words thanks both thank you chris very much speak to you soon so that was certainly a bit to take in but clearly there are changes on the horizon and we need to have these conversations early on to ensure there is time to digest and respond to the consultation If you would like Fathom to go into any greater detail on anything that we discussed today or any other specific parts of the proposed code, then please do reach out and get in contact with us. All links that Roger mentioned are included in the show notes, which can be found either on the CFPO website, as well as Apple and Spotify, if you're listening on either of those platforms. And as Paul mentioned in the intro, please do respond to this episode, not just the consultation, but if there's something in this episode... You can just reach out easy through social media. You can drop us an email, a phone call, or go direct to the MCA. But clearly now is the time. You've got six weeks until the deadline of this consultation process. So it's clear the MCA want to get this right before it goes forward. And the opportunity is definitely now to influence any future changes. And that's it from Team Fathom. So thanks as always. And stay tuned for plenty more to come in the latter part of 2020. Goodbye for now. Fathom was brought to you by the Cornish Fish Producers Organisation with support from Seafarers UK.